Welcome to season five. Season five. Abbreviated, mildly abbreviated. We we had some other guests uh, lined up to do. Um, to yeah, we did. For we season we five. had a really full episode, and uh, it got cut short by a little a full season. pandemic. You know, yeah, something about a bug. It, it either it, it's bad, you know. Well, or no, it, it it either just gives you a slight headache and runny nose, or, or you stop everything, or it kills you. Yeah, and yeah. That, that's that's the worst part. You're just like, well. What's it gonna do to me? Like I don't know. It's just kind of. It's like running into a. It's like running into a really scary person in an alley, and they're either gonna just ask you for the time, or that's it. Yeah, and <laughs> you know, dying sucks. I guess so I've heard. How long? I've heard. Yeah, I, I've been quarantined. Um, pretty pretty heavily. Uh, you have I mean, pretty, medical pretty... essential providers in your household, and so therefore you you've had a unique situation. Yeah, yeah. My wife uh, has, she's had some serious restrictions, you know, her, her job really <laughs> has made her keep uh, tabs on everybody she comes in contact with, Wow, um, which is a good thing, which is a good thing. So if the uh, audio quality sounds a little bit different, um, hopefully it won't be, we'll, we'll be able to iron out most of this stuff, but we are obviously recording our bumpers remotely over remotely. the phone. Over the phone. Yeah. So... I'm we don't do, into, that's not something we normally do. We, no, we, this, this, we always do our conduct our interviews live, uh, yes. person to person. We don't yes. do phoners, as they say. <laughs> phoners? Um, yeah, that's. I heard that from a couple of guests who, uh, oh, who thought we were we were going to do a phoner. Is that, um, don't don't phoner boomer. Is that is that a thing? Right. <laughs> that, what's that? She is. Yeah, I'd never uh, heard that before. No, I just until, I just yeah, made it up. Doing this. Thank you. Good. Um, well, you know, this is our big long intro to the season, but also uh, what a a jewel of an interview we had with Rod and Steve. Yes, Rod Norwood. Um, we try to get him on the show uh, for a couple of seasons. True. Uh, and we finally we finally landed it. Uh, yeah. If you remember, we had Steve Selvage on the show last season. Great episode. Um, so he and Rod have a very interesting rapport. Uh, on Facebook, we'll get into the history of that. Yeah, and uh, yeah, if you're not friends with Rod Norwood, you should. Maybe you should try to be. Uh, he you might hate be. me for this, you know, for for you know oh, yeah. asking people to befriend him. I don't know. Maybe he will. Seems like a nice guy, but his stories are interesting to say the least. They're hilarious, usually. Yeah, I, um, I pretty much I pretty much made him my my Tony Robbins in my life. He 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 is the one who inspires me to to do well. He is really, <laughs> <laughs> or or just F it, as he said. <laughs> right, right. Many times. We should also say that if you have children in the car, oh this yeah, this is not the episode for them. No, they just let um, it fly. They really do. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, might want to skip this one if you got kids in the car. <laughs> Enjoy the episode. Well, gentlemen, uh, we're hot. All right, yo. This is a very, very special episode. Coming well, in hot. Remember back in the day, it was like uh, if you if you had a show, it was maybe uh, comedy or something, and all of a sudden they'd be like on a special episode, like some kid would start doing the drugs or the. Uh, Do you remember when uh, when uh, Horshack got on drugs? Yes. Right. Yeah, um, like it, <clears throat> he killed the show. Like, like what the heck? Right? You know, welcome back, Carter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and like they're they're pretending to be on drugs. Give me drugs. Give me drugs. Give me drugs. And then I was like, wait a minute, Horshack's really on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> Great. So this, 
we got a special episode of Memphis Machine. Rod Norwood, Steve Salvage. Get um, your hand off my leg. Exactly. Get your hand in my pocket. Don't it, fucking touch me. Shut <laughs> up. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. So, um, yeah, so, you know, the, 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 this, is, this is music related, but it's also, uh, it's, it's very, very Memphis. This is a very Memphis-centric scene right now. This is what this is. Uh, Rod, I've been stalking you on Facebook for, well, probably because of Steve. Probably because I because of know. me, motherfucker. See, well, yeah. see how that is. He would have found me anyway. Don't, don't, don't. Please <laughs> don't stroke his ego. Don't stroke his ego, please. <laughs> and uh, I've actually even collected some of your posts, and I and I keep them in a file oh, really? on oh, my phone. Oh, the, the, oh, look at that! Say that again. Look, look at that. He, 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 I didn't quite catch that. I'll read them to people. Okay, for example, you're clearly somebody that feeds a gremlin after midnight. Like he's going to turn into stripe. How many of Steve's have you collected? Well. You know, I, I remember his solos. He, he collects my music. There you go. All right. All yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I, I did happen to. I, I've, I've read this one post a couple times. Of, uh, <clears throat> I think Memphis should be a state because it sure as hell ain't Tennessee. I'm not sure what the f it is. It ain't Mississippi or Arkansas either. We got an f and bait shop and a pyramid. <laughs> hey, f being a state, we should be a country, albeit a third world country. Memphians are a distinct race. We have our own language our own social mores, and through reckless inbreeding, we are all related. The model for this utopian country should be, what? I don't get it. <laughs> I just, man, that's like. That's so weird hearing that. <laughs> <laughs> I agree with the guy, though. The guy's spot on. There's no doubt about it. Steve, you got anything to say about that? I mean, I'd say we're, we're if we're going to put it on anything, we're more North Mississippi than anything. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Uh, uh, yeah, but I don't know. It's unique. It is. I mean, it's the you know. Well, there's also the specter of the Delta. It's sort exactly. of hard to get away. Well, abject poverty. Yeah. Will, will do quite a bit for uh, a town. Well, and just there's. I mean, not to get so heavy right on, but there's 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 so much there's so much there's so much to pay for. Like yes. the, dri driving down the, to the Delta, it just gets you can feel it. Like it's it's there's it's a lot of fucking unsettled shit. Yep. Oh, but they kind Different of, from North Mississippi. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, because North Mississippi was never uh, plantation based. Oh wow. You know they're 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 more uh, self sufficient and yeah. and the the vibe is such. But once you get into the Delta proper, it's. Is it kind of like Illinois? What the like, fuck are you talking about? <laughs> hey, man, look, look, I'm here. That was good. I'm good. I, I enjoyed that. Well, could, could you compare I mean, it to Illinois? You know how there's Chicago and then the rest of Illinois? Right, right. Like, I know like Southern Illinois wanted to secede from Northern Illinois. Sure. More, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and I guess that whole weird regional thing, like the whole Pennsylvania sort of thing, and like the the, the weirdness of Maryland and, and West Virginia and all yeah, that right? stuff. It's like lines get blurred. Would you say that the hills in North Mississippi prevented uh, the uh, Delta style farming? Yes, the hill country. The hill country. Yes, was a huge factor. See, I believe I don't believe there's any such fucking thing as the hill country. I think it was invented by some people. I have relatives that live in uh, that area, Hickory Flats, Holly Springs. They don't oh, yeah. know what the fuck the hill country is. I have asked them <laughs> well, on numerous occasions. So you live in the hill country. They'd never fucking heard of it. I think certain musicians invented that in order to give it a credibility of a musical credibility that it didn't really have. I disagree. No, you don't. Look, look, goddamn it! Am I not right? No, you're wrong. <laughs> the fucking Delta. If you have you been to the Delta? 
So my, my, my dad's from Greenville, Mississippi. Oh, Green, Greenville, oh, you didn't pick shit. I picked fucking cotton in the deltas. Don't have to tell me about that. You're full of shit as a Christmas goose. I did. Oh. But the delta is flat as a motherfucker. I mean, it my, is. I mean, parts of it, yes. It is very flat. <laughs> All right, I agree. You know, um, so, I mean, a, a slight rise looks like a fucking hill. To the people, if, if you're coming from the so dark. you're saying well, the I, motherfuckers are too stupid to know what he no, it's, it's like. just about context. That's what it's you're about saying. context. All right, all right. Now, I will say I didn't know I lived in the hill country until I was 21, 22. Right, yeah, I, I, I agree that it, 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 it was it did come into the vernacular in a certain way. It it became a marketing tool for a certain type of music, sure. branding before it branding was brand. Was a, yes, yeah. yes. How That's the fuck good. did you scratch your glasses? What I don't know. What happened yeah. to you? Did you fall while you were drunk? Or? I have fallen many times. Jeez. Rita was telling me that. Oh, shit. Now you spoiled my mood. I was just trying to shut you up. Anyways, Carl, continue, please. No, no, this, no, this, this is good. Some socioeconomic philosophy of, uh, uh, yeah. Should we get into states' rights? This is, this oh, is some good stuff here. Man. Um, <coughs> and, you know, and, and as, as long as I'm bragging on Rod here, uh, uh, the other, my other favorite quote was a, was a recent one uh, regarding your... your uh, Vintage uh, guitar uh, days. Mm -hmm. I, I love this story. Uh, oh, is this the Martin one? Oh, God, I yeah, love this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Working in the vintage guitar business was a daunting task. Just like any other business, besides the normal BS associated with retail, you had to listen to stupid people say stupid things. <laughs> we had a 1938 Martin Triple Lot. Uh, let me say that slower. We had a 1938 Martin Triple Lot 45, one of the finest acoustic guitars ever made. This guitar represents the absolute pinnacle of guitar building, old world craftsmanship combined with modern manufacturing. It was a high water mark yeah. in the development of the acoustic guitar. It was and is a work of art. It is important on so many levels. So I had it in a massive, dis check out this display case. I had it in a massive display case along with a National Aragon. Is that how you say that? Yeah. Yeah, and a 1958, 1958 original black finished finish. I remember that. God, it broke my heart when he it was It was quite guitar. a display. This guy came in. He was somewhat of a regular. I couldn't stand him. But in business, one it. puts his personal feelings aside. He asked about the Martin, then wanted to know the price. I told him it was $35,000. Today, it would be three hundred grand, Maybe more. He said, shit, my Takamini in import sounds just as good. <laughs> Sorry. There was a heavy silence. Seemed to last forever. Finally, I spoke. Get out of here. He started to laugh. Get out of here and don't ever come back. He came forward a bit. I said, Out. He finally got the message and left. I didn't do that very often, but when I did, I felt like a champion. <laughs> I didn't. I've been fairness. I rarely did it, but I, 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 I was there. It happened. It. You were there. He, yeah. Oh god. This dude. This dude. This was. This guy was the poster child tire kicker. I mean, he would just. He would always come in and just have some shit to say, and never, never once bought anything. Oh. And pick a guitar up and laugh. Somebody put a new neck on it. They was like, well, yeah. you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Well, we just, you know, you just <laughs> let that shit flow. But we are looking at one of the most beautiful and rare instruments on the planet, that yeah. Martin. And we had, we on that particular day, we had the shit. We had a black strat that Steve can tell you about. was fucking unbelievable. Jerry Moss? Yes. This guy was lifer Arkansas bar guitar player. He had a, a factory black finish a 58 strat beautiful v-neck profile i mean this guitar was like it it just sang it was like it's why people are into these guitars and like at some point he had to sell it uh, 
and uh, and certain people beat him up about it and were very. I, I didn't. Not you, no. No, no. My my uh, my business partner was. I'm a, not saying a, a word. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, but that it, was, it was it was hard to watch somebody have to get that guitar up. Right. For, oh, you know, for sure. You know. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was. I mean, like he'd had it forever, and it was it was truly a magical strat. But but you it know was, I I I I, uh, I tagged Dave Henson from. Uh, um, uh, vintage. Uh, uh, oh yeah, yeah. Uh, Dave's there. a good guy. Oh my gosh. So I, I, I used to do some gigs with him up in St. Louis, but I know any retailer that read that would just be like, you know, just like, yes, yeah, yes, yeah. finally. Well, this was a work of art, and but these people didn't understand a lot of it came in. Some of these <coughs> guitars, it's not about how function. I mean, it was definitely form over function. Yeah. You know, we're looking at at. Art, serious yeah. art, and uh, and then they're wanting to compare it to some everyday playing thing. Was they're just kind of missing the whole point. I, I think for some listeners that, that aren't aware of how you know, and you say it was it's a factory guitar. So in in one sense, it's not like it's not like putting together a violin or, or but 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 there is this elusive thing of like when a guitar comes together. Sure. And, well, and, in and, the '30s, when this guitar was built, you still had old oh, old I, world craftsmanship. Yeah. 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 Linked with modern technology, only the uh, only the most seasoned employee at Martin would be allowed to work on. Right. That was the top of the line. I mean, you had people that legit like came through Ellis Island yeah, working yeah, on this like, kind of but, stuff. But even with with the Stratocaster. Oh yeah, yeah. Like, like, like what? Even still, though, even though that was totally modern manufacturing. Right. But, it was a fairly hands-on thing. Uh, it wasn't like machines doing everything. Next right. were. That's one of the beauty of old guitars is there's variation. You know, it's like some guys can say, "Well, this was made on a Monday and this was made on a Friday." You could almost tell the difference. Sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. but like yeah, but for people that don't really get like what Steve was saying, like it really saying like when a guitar, when all these things come together, there's a thing that happens. Yeah, there's a magic alchemy. There is a magic that is just it cannot be. Uh, I don't know how to explain well, it. Well, and two, like, I firmly believe that that guitar was magic because of all the stuff that was put into it. it just the vibrations that happened and the music that was made yeah, right? with it, you know. Yeah. Um, that particular strat was one of the coolest strats. And Jerry uh, was a player of the highest. He used to play with, what's that guy, Red uh, Volkart? Did he play Red Volkart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he was heavy. I mean, yeah. he had, like, the, you know, like the Travis Picking Lady Madonna thing going on. Mm. And, like, he was, he was just straight up just bar warrior. It broke his heart, you know, to have to sell the guitar. But we've oh, all yeah. been there. Anybody yeah. that's you know ever played music, or right? Played, that's just part of it. But it's to me, it was just difficult to be around people who couldn't appreciate the art and had to you know nitpick or just the difference of materials. I mean, like the fact that like look, I don't look, I don't disagree that like. Especially Takamini. Shut up. <laughs> people, I'm, I'm, people work really hard at Takamini. Yeah. You know, and they take pride in their work. And I, I know that, especially, you know, especially when they're made in Japan, like, you know, they're not fucking around. Yeah. But we're like, let's just go to the basic like Brazilian rosewood. There's a difference, like, mm -hmm. in, in just the wood. So if you're looking at a back and sides of a guitar that's Brazilian rosewood compared to a Takamini made in the nineties, there's an intrinsic difference. Mm -hmm. You know, the wood is finer. You know. well, it's much finer. It's, it's solid pieces of wood as opposed to laminates. And, yeah, I mean those are good guitars. They make great guitars now. Nobody's saying that like these guitars. I mean there were periods where guitars were absolute shit, and that's sure. why the vintage guitar market. Right. That's exactly why it existed. You know, in the '70s, well, really late '60s, American manufacturing just took 
total nosedive. You had across pintos, across the, yeah. the fucking board. Yeah, right. You had pintos, you had all that. that mm-hmm. And with guitars, I mean, a 72 Strat compared to, say, a 66 Strat. It's night and day. Wow. Uh, still and a 66 Strat was still looked down upon for people that wanted a 54 Strat. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, what happened with Fender and with every company is, as a, their models change, uh, they begin to, bottom line is, they begin to cut corners sure, and do yeah. things. Uh, in the big guitar boom when the, that the Beatles created, all the companies went insane. They could not keep up with the 24 guitars. hour production. Yeah. yeah. Well, I know Ludwig is doing that. Yeah, they all were. And, and Gretsch made some of the most horrible guitars yeah. in the world during that period. Oh, wow. Because they could not keep up with the production. Gibson's. Uh, 66 was a 65 really was an amazing year for for all of them gibson had up into then they had been perfecting their necks and the necks were fantastic yep. mm-hmm. then they got that wasn't one in nine since nine nine sixteenths. yeah right? yeah well and what i heard recently was that all because i think maybe ted mccarty just mentioned that he liked a skinny neck i think it was to say if you take uh, uh you had you'd get an extra neck right. by cutting them down. I think it was totally costly. They did some other things. They took stop tail pieces. What, what Rod is trying to say is the width of the neck at the nut, like you know, yeah. so it got narrower. Yeah. So if you look at the sixty six three thirty five, the nut is like smaller, so there's less to grab onto. Whereas if you look, uh, early sixty five neck is a wider nut. There's bigger string spacing. So mm-hmm. some people like a narrow. Not, yeah. I mean, that's, you know. But I would say as far as quality, up to 65 for almost all the manufacturers, Fender, Gibson, yep. Martin, Gretsch, after that, quality took a nosedive. Right. And it was it was a slow a slow process, but it kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then by early 70s, Gibson made the most horrible acoustic guitars that's ever been made. Uh if their guitars were total shit, so guys started buying old stuff. Wow! Because you know, if a guy had been playing, say his his '58 Tele for ten years inside, it was time to try a new one. I mean, the Tellys were horrible. They were microphonic. They 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 yeah, just were heavy. terrible. <clears throat> wow. who, who is it that had the slogan that they don't make them like they used to, so we sell the ones they used to make? Was that uh, was that Guitar Trader? I think it was in, Jer- in Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, yep. Tim wow. Cummer. Wow. So it slowly started, and it was kind of an underground thing. A lot of gu- guitar guys were like uh, wheeler dealer types. A lot of them were dope dealers and just selling pot and stuff like that. Uh, it was kind of an underground thing, and it was that way for a really long time. It was a real small market. I mean, every city had maybe 10 guys who loved old guitars, but for the most part, it was underground. Yeah. And over the years, it's become... Uh, did that he, was what made, was amazing when I met Steve. He was seventeen, and he knew all about the shit. Or wow. eighteen. Yeah, right? yeah. So he was, uh, you know, kind of like a savant, right? You know. Yeah, yeah, a bit very savant. Yeah. <laughs> but he knew the shit, you know, and 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 had just. I mean, there was precious little to read about. A couple of books here and there, but guitar. Vintage Guitar Magazine, and as far as like actually knowing how to price something, nobody knew how to price it. Oh, wow. So George Gruen had a list, a mailer that he sent out, and that became, that's that's how you price that's things. That's prices, yeah. yeah. Like a blue book. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Wow. People, if, for those who even remember what a blue book 
is. Right. I think his, his book was actually the color blue. The, is that right? The Grim it Price may have guy. been. Yeah. He I mean, eventually he, he did. He put wrote out a book. Price guy. Him and Walter Carter, who now owns one of the most successful. Yeah, British. Walter's kind of taken over. He's big. Sorry, time. George. <laughs> but they were, you know, he did put the information. Nobody knew anything. You know, we we didn't know. Uh, the thing about guitars, especially Fender guitars, I mean, they're like these little, they're all coded. just kind of like a car. Yeah. So yeah. everything has a code on it. And you can take a guitar apart, and if you know what you're looking at, the dates will match up. Well, yeah, somebody had to figure out, right, 137 means CTS. Which so is the, man- the pot manufacturer. The, the pot manufacturer. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that didn't geometry. happen until sometime in the 80s. Walter Carter is, uh, I mean, the, the people who made pots, potentially, I'm yeah, yeah, we should define pot. <laughs> Yeah. That, that, that's that's the knob, the volume knob. The we're not talking. We're not talking about pot anymore. We're not talking about weed. No, this was potentiometer. They, this volume had been knob. an industry standard for years, yeah. and somehow or another, Walter got wind of it and called somebody and figured this whole thing out. It was a huge, huge thing, revelation, because you could actually like Gibson serial numbers were goofy, so it was really hard to tell. They duplicate, yeah. But they duplicated numbers. Oh, so wow. if you didn't know certain things, well, this way you could, if the pot's original, you right. could date it to the. So we figured out all this stuff. As, so as what, what Rod's getting at is uh, <laughs> the, the, the pots had a code. 137 was the manufacturer CTS. And then after that was a number, it was the years. So if you had yeah. a 62 Strat, it said 13762, blah, 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 blah. You knew that those pots were from 1962. And that gave you an idea of when the guitar was made. Wow. And, well, the great thing was well, learning all this stuff. I mean, the forgers had been having a field day mm-hmm. because nobody knew jack shit. So they're putting uh, modern pickups, uh, and nobody knew. So, uh, and now with this, it, people were actually able to date guitars and you know, ascertain what's original and what's not. So yeah. it was a really good thing. Yeah. And with the internet, it just went oh, wide gosh. open. Yeah. Oh gosh. I mean, there's no reason to, you know, if you find any sort of antique, you know, be it guitar or whatever, you can find <laughs> out, you know, what it, what it was made, who made it, and uh, what it's worth and all that stuff. It was cool. Well, it was interesting, too, how aesthetics change over the years in the vintage guitar world. Like, you told me, right, that for the longest time, like at the beginning of the vintage guitar kind of thing, that, like, for Stratocasters, the only thing that was really worth big bucks that people wanted was the Buddy Holly two-tone sunburst maple neck uh, single ply guitar. That was the sta- maple neck were considered the only collectible Fender Stratocasters. Wow. So you could have a '62 Fiesta Red Strat well, slab board. It that, mean, it was, that's crazy. That, mm, that was the truth. And so, what was it? '88. That, that I don't know exactly. But it really went insane. The custom color boom yeah. happened. There was this th- one one particular guitar show where all of a sudden. Uh, they're going insane for custom colors. One Not, dude paid for some big for something, right? Oh, people started paying huge money. I was set up with the, in a booth with a friend of mine. He had a foam green '66 with a big headstock, which is a big no-no at that big point. Big no-no at that time, and a black with the most curly neck you've ever seen, also with a big headstock. That's and cr- we cr- had, flame maple. We had no idea what to price them or anything. Heavy dealers started offering us these insane trades. They offered uh, a burst for both of those guitars. Mm. Now, the show prior to that, those guitars went in about $600 each. Golly. But all of a sudden, everybody wants a green or a purple one or yeah. whatever. Yeah. So, And then as we started learning more about guitars, we 
particularly fenders, we figured out a 67 stretch, not that bad a thing. It's not nearly as good as a 57, but it's not that bad. Yeah. It looks a little ugly, but, <laughs> you know. And so more and more people started getting, you know, the, the post-CBS thing came. Yeah. And after what Steve was talking about, the, the maple neck strats, then it became anything made uh, before CBS purchased the, the company. Right. And that was, the, that was the cutoff point. But all that's out the window now. Well, and the crazy thing, too, is like, again, it's all in the, sort of the eye of the beholder and your cultural re- relevance. So back in the day, we had the store and um, we had the Tele Deluxe. Excuse me one moment. I had the store. You are a hired employee. Now continue. Continue. Go yeah. Ahead, go okay. Ahead. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> we had the store. And uh, you, you would have been dead in a year without me. Um, so, Telly Deluxe, right? This is the epitome of what people hate about CBS 70s yeah. Fender, right? right? It's a Telecaster. Yeah. It's a Telecaster with a contoured back, with a big Strat headstock, two humbuckers, yeah. mm-hmm. and a like a Les Paul st- style wiring. <laughs> okay. Oh, I hate you. And they call it a Telecaster. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's not a Telecaster. It's, it's it's not. Yeah. It's yeah. a two humbucker bolt-on guitar. But so two we with three bolts as opposed three to bolts, yeah, yeah. opposed to four. Um, we had those, so the way the store was set up, you know, we had a wall and then here, like a, 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 a south-facing wall and then a west-facing wall. And then in the corner of the west-facing wall was the, uh, you know, the counter mm-hmm. with the cashier. And so we would hide the shit that we didn't like behind there that we were embarrassed about. So we had, you know, three Mocha 73 yeah. Telly Deluxe. And Mocha was the most horrible color. Brown, doo-doo brown, yeah. you know. Just, just right. yeah. Everything wrong with it. And it was just like, if you can just give us $500 and take this away, we will be happy. We were, well, that, that's a $3,500 guitar now. Because some kid that grew up with Radiohead was like, fuck you, I want that. <laughs> I own one. Rod sold me one. He was like, you know what? This is a great guitar. That's when I found out about the Fender Wide Range Humbuckers. Wow. And I built a whole sound around the thing. He was early in that. He was the first picking. I mean, there were some guys doing that. What fucked everything up was Keith Richards started playing a black custom and and brand new and with a Fender Humbucker. Well, for vintage guys like me that happened to just be insane in love with Keith, it was a real mind fuck. (laughs) Wise. So I knew there had to be some some merit in the guitar itself. Yeah. But you could buy them for three hundred bucks. I'd buy them and I'd think oh, that's great. It's like peace. And then I'd think I hate this fucking thing and take it up to Gruen and trade it for it and ten other guitars for a '56 Strat or something. Fodder. Gosh. Yeah. I would just I would go to Gruen's with. 12 or 15 guitars and come back with one or two. So, so, so you, you guys are touching on this and what I'm hearing, like this, this tension between fashion and something that is intrinsically good. Yeah. Like, of how like this great guitar, and then, well then this big, and then this colors and then you have this, this It tension. gets pulled along, you know. Right? And, and, the, the, this tug and tug of war between. Well, one yeah, thing. Something all of a sudden is, is fashionable then you start finding things that are, are good about it intrinsically yeah. well pro- the problem when things become fashionable they become more expensive so yeah then people start looking at like well what's so fucked up about a, a 70 less Paul and they're really not that bad you know 68 less Paul is pretty decent so people start looking toward other things mm-hmm. and again it's context just if, if you're you know 20 years younger 
something from the seventies is going to seem old to you and cool, oh, yeah. you know, oh, yeah. the same way that, it, you know, when Rod was, you know, younger in the forties, um, <laughs> uh, it, you know, that's, you know, the, the things from the fifties were like, that was the old stuff, you know, and, and there is a difference. I mean, that you cannot get around. There's a difference between, I love my 73 Telly Deluxe. It's a great guitar. And I made like, I had amazing musical moments on it, but it was made in a f- bigger factory with a lot of people with a different sort of oversight. A 52 Telly was made by literally a handful of people yeah. with their hands on the actual manufacturing process. Right. There's a yeah. difference. And you can tell there's there's more care and um, attention. They're to more it. handmade. The uh, a lot of it was like like pickup windings on a pickup. They didn't really have counters, so they were just. I mean, they yeah. had man, you know, but they might let the thing go over. It might go under. So there, all of these things would make make them all a little bit different. So, so when do you think? I mean, that gave birth to to the the whole boutique, you know, like Tom Anderson, like, sure, sort of like so that you know, that so we're coming out of like. I guess eighties, right? When, when, when that started really heavy. Then I guess Seymour Duncan was the first, but it was all an attempt to make because uh, uh, the PAF became the standard pickup. Yeah. You know? So it was all the, an attempt to make a, which means patent applied for. So that is a great, great uh, cutting point for if a guitar has PAFs. I mean, they're probably these, what, are, these are the first Gibson humbuckers from the fifties. Yeah. When when fifty seven when the Gibson came out with the humbucker. Um, they made them a certain way, and there was a little decal on the back of it, like a water-based decal that said patent applied for. Later, they changed the, the kind of wire they used, and they changed the way they wound them, and people say that changed the sound. So and it did. It did, yeah. So that's why also PAFs were in some breasts, less Pauls, which are, for the people that don't know what we're talking about, is like the most mythical vintage guitar that there is. And they were... Those pickups are amazing, but they all sound a little different because, yeah. again, there was so much hand work involved in, yeah, right. in all this. And But, again, by 66, it became like, man, we got all these orders. We have to get these guitars Crank out. them out. How can we get uh, faster? They just did little things. It didn't all happen at once. They went for years and years. The hardware on uh, Gibson was nickel-plated. And as it ages, it has this wonderful patina, yeah. incredibly soft. It's just, it's really beautiful. And they went to chrome, and right. it's horrible. You know, it, it looks bad. And so it was just things like that. The 335, they went to a trapeze tailpiece, which, can you explain that? So, uh, on a 335, from up to a certain year, you have a stop bar tailpiece, which is uh, a piece of metal anchored by studs that are in the actual wood. Yeah. And the trapeze tailpiece is like, uh, how would you explain it? I mean, it's it's a piece of metal coming off the back of the guitar. Like, like, like a violin, a like, like, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like a violin yeah. or a cello, exactly. Yeah. Attached um, to the uh, guitar strap, you know, button. Yeah. Right. Like, so, so there's not as much contact with the wood, you know. So they sound completely different. You lose sustain, and you just lose uh, again. A combination of things by 73 or so, a Gibson 335 was just a horrible guitar. That's I mean, they went to three piece necks as opposed to, it used to be one piece. Yeah. Uh, they come up with these horrible brown stains. Yeah. I cannot imagine what they were thinking, but they, uh, they just made some really, really bad guitars. Well, it was, it was all Quaaludes. It was the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> they were trying to make money, you know. They, they had the big boom, and then things. The, the Japanese imports put a huge hurt on the American yeah. companies. Because you had the, the lawsuit guitars. The Japanese yeah. companies started making they things were that were more like 50s 
Fenders and Gibsons, yeah. you know, and people took note. I've I've got an Aria uh, '70s jazz bass. Yeah, sure. Oh, they're great. I put flat ones on that thing. Yeah, it's a blast. They're they're really well. You know, and going back to like uh, the difference in you know big and small, like especially with Fender, like you have actual people like names associated with these guitars, like Taddeo Gomez. Uh TG would be on the on the neck block. It's like oh, oh, Taddeo Gomez made this guitar. It's right. He was known for he just had the touch or Gloria. You know these actual human beings, like right. you know. That's the really cool thing about when you get into old guitars, and, and which I don't like taking guitars apart. I I was fortunate a lot of times in the, in the early days to buy guitars from the original owners, and I even I had a '59 Fender Esquire Custom. I had a picture of the guy opening it up at his for Christmas. And all my friends would come over and look at it and say, well, let's take the neck off. That was the last of your stash. That, that was the last the, one you got the, rid of. My last, uh, I held on for as See, long as I could. Rod, wow. Rod had, like, before he was a dealer, he was a collector. And, he, like, he, like, you know, he had the collection. I had the shit. And, no, so, and really. this will give you some insight. Like a real guitar, a real guitar person, right? I yeah. can't say guitar man. No. Guitar person. Right, that's fine. You know, um, This is how they think. So my buddy Robbie Grant, who's in Big Ass Truck with me, uh, he had a friend, Shannon, who lived across the street from Rod. And Robbie said, yeah, man, uh, this dude that lives across the street from Shannon, man, he's got like the killer vintage guitar collection. And my initial first thought was like, he ain't, he's full of shit. He, fuck that guy. He didn't have shit. I, I, I'm sure it's bogus. I'm sure it's bullshit. I heard the motherfucker. That's exactly what you said when you walked in the day. Yeah. I was just like, that, that, that can't be true. It turns but, out, but you never saw it. I you? never saw it. No, I've got it on tape somewhere. Yeah, but I collected Fender Esquires, and which is a rare guitar. It's a one pickup Telecaster. One pickup Telecaster. Okay, yeah. I had at uh, one time. I had three. This is all in like one group. Uh, at least three Blackguards, maybe maybe four Blackguard Esquires. One of them was 1950. Mm. Uh, I had a two or three 50s White I had an Esquire Custom. I had a Dakota Red 57 Esquire. Mm. I, uh, what was that color I was telling you about? The fucking gray. The gray. Oh, the, the uh, Charcoal Mist? Charcoal Mist. <laughs> you tried but to love it. I wanted to love this guitar. It's a rare, rare color. Rare as hell. It's, <laughs> I got a 60. It was a 66. Rare. It's like fucking, dark gray metallic. It looked horrible. It was. It it's, was it's uninspiring. Uninspiring. It's not like a Fiesta Red yeah. or Lake Placid Blue. It didn't pop. It didn't pop, and I would look at it and try to love it. This is what you do. Yeah, That's, it's a disease. I mean, I would like, particularly if my wife and son would go, I would line them all up in yeah. the in the my living room and sit there for hours. Just you know, I had uh, you know go tops. I had fifty seven go tops. PAS I mean, during that time, but I went through literally. Hundreds and thousands of guitars. Once I got into the, I started dealing guitars in order to finance my collection, and then I hooked up with Gruen Guitars in Nashville and started going to shows with him. So by late seventy, you're kind of like a lackey for Gruen. A little right? bit of a lackey, yeah. hell yes. But also, I mean, the guys that he worked with couldn't stand to go on the road with him, and I, I was able to do it because I really wanted to hear this shit. Yeah. And Gruen was like an encyclopedia. He knew everything. And I'd say, well, tell me about Martin in 39. And he's just, he, it was amazing. I mean, we went all over the country, and I'm just 
listening, and he he was like a, a was like listening to a tape. Wow! So I was a great, and plus he was the heavy dealer at the time. Yeah. Uh, everybody was. George had the Japanese connections. No one else did. I mean, uh, his name was literally synonymous with vintage guitars. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was just like you said vintage guitars, and it was like, well, you know, what would Gruen talk to Gruen? Yeah. So I spent ten years or more, maybe fifteen years, uh, working with Bruin. And and uh, did you live in Nashville? Or did you no, just I would just I just did the shows up? with yeah. him. Wow, because uh, he needed you know. And I get along pretty easy with people, and and George just you know he had some people skills, so it worked out really well for everybody. Wow, he, George was literally the king at those shows. Guys would line up. To sell George a, a guitar, you've never seen anything like. That. Yeah. Wow! But in the early days of the shows, everybody that walked in had a guitar case. Right. Everybody came, and they were all tweed cases, yeah. brown cases. I mean, they were all. I mean, fucking Martin D forty fives would walk in shows. I remember one walking in. The, they had found it in their attic. A D forty five from the thirties. They uh. didn't have a case. They walked it in the show. By the time they got like not even down the first line, it had already been up to like twenty five thousand bucks, which uh. was insane at, at the time. It in, was in, like early eighties. I mean, this, this stuff was. When it started popping, it was amazing. The guitar shows, they felt so illegal. There was so much money going around. <laughs> and then after a while, you were there. You remember when yeah. they, had, they got up to where, I mean, guys are walking around with these, these cod pieces. Cash. I mean, we're yeah. talking like, like undocumented cash. Undocumented. And small like bills cash. cash. <laughs> <laughs> they had these. What on if this wasn't somebody else? <laughs> but you remember they had these. Yeah, the fanny packs. The fanny packs. Fanny which was packs. A, it was a cod piece full of hundreds of fucking thousands of dollars oh, and this the Japanese came in I mean millions of dollars literally for changing hands and, and, and fads could come and go and just like tell them, tell them I, I, so this is how he, this is what they did to me um, <laughs> so in the mid 90s there was a, a bizarre guitar there was a, 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 a book came out in Japan called Bizarre Guitars um, you know Taisko's old original oh, Yamahas yeah, yeah, yeah. like you know the weird Japanese guitars yeah, from right. the 60s you know um, but and we liked them because we played blues because they were funky oh, you, it's a cheap pawn shop guitar like Hound Dog Taylor played you played slide on it had, had shitty action you just yeah. you know you played but slide we on always, it I was always motherfucker I'm trying them. to talk okay <laughs> I'm sorry um, I'm talking it's the coffee so uh, they got huge in, in Japan you know, th there was a long-standing tradition of Japanese people buying, you know, going big on vintage stuff, Americana. Yeah. You know, but then this turned around, and they were buying their own guitars back from them. So it got to be like where, like, Tysco's were worth a ton of money. So, like, we went hard on it, man. Like, we found every Tysco we could, and we were just flipping them for insane money. Wow. Like, a Spectrum 5 was, like, which is like the fanciest Tysco was like twenty five hundred dollars. If you remember, we put a head, a full page ad right, in Vintage Guitar Magazine, say we will pay fifteen hundred dollars yeah. for a Tysco Spectrum Five in original condition, which was a insane, yeah. an insane amount. We of went money. hard, and so <laughs> th this was the uh, I think it was the Arlington Guitar Show. Was where I bought that strat, my yeah, big ass truck yeah. strat. Um, well, the bubble fucking burst. Like it was over. <laughs> and, and we were holding them. We were we holding them. I mean, we were left holding no, the bag. We had every oh, one no. of them. And so they're like, all right, Steve, well, you got to get rid of this shit. So I had to go walk in, in a circle and just all around the hall, the convention hall, 
like a whip dog just begging like can you can you, and, and everybody knew that we were fucked <laughs> and I, I was like i was like well man, can you trade something like maybe a tube screamer or like and then and they were just laughing and just like oh, oh. that was horrible oh god uh that that walk by the way in, in vintage guitar circles is known as the walk of shame yeah oh. you know, when you, when you see a heavy dealer just start uh uh, there's this really cool guy named Jimmy Wallace. He's one of the the major players. You know, he, he made, helped invent the vintage. He guitar. invented the guitar. Uh, he created the Dallas Show. Really cool guy. Uh, I was watching him stand in front of his booth, and he would just have this intense stare of looking, and then he would reach up and grab a guitar and start walking with it. He never came back with it. He was going to get rid of that guitar, wow. and that, it, it was just it was really fun. But when you were watching, if you saw a dealer, a heavy dealer walking, uh, going from booth to booth, you knew that guitar was fucked. He done, <laughs> fuck, he done fucked up. <laughs> he done fucked up. But at the same oh, time, man. you could sometimes get a, you know, a really cool guitar. Oh, that's wild. So let's get into uh, the store, what, you know, and, and y'all's history together. Okay, I uh, was still doing my thing with Gruen, and I got involved with the. Um, uh, Memphis Music Hall of Fame, which was a, a blues museum. Yeah. And I was helping finding them stuff. I uh, got, um, what was the guy's name, man? Nighthawk. Robert Nighthawk's guitar. So I was really. Scratch Corvette. It was great. It was oh, wow. So I was helping them get stuff, and they were using me for displays. If they didn't have the. Uh, the guy's guitar, I wouldn't get him one like it. So I was involved in that. And uh, when the place finally opened, the guy offered me a corner to put a few guitars in. Well, I didn't want to put any of my good shit there. Mm-hmm. So I got Gruen. Gruen sent me down what he called his Drek. Uh, it was like guitars he didn't want. He really didn't even want in his shop. So I sold those. For, I had a shop. I hate it. Get it out of here. <laughs> so he sent me like like 35 guitars, oh, God. and I've got a shop you know, all of a sudden. And uh, then I, uh, let's see, I was in the gift shop. Then they, ended up, they built a wall and gave me a little room. And so I had my, it was Rod's, this first shop, Rod's Guitars. And Steve came by real early. I came here. in when it was still the gift shop. You weren't even in the, in the really. Yeah, yeah. You weren't even in the little room yet. He was. Uh, he was seventeen, eighteen. I had him. Had seven. hair down to his fucking waist. Yeah, <laughs> motherfucker I, was gorgeous. There, I, I just said <laughs> he was fucking gorgeous. He came in there when you were young <laughs> and your heart was like an and open book. I was thinking like. I'm sort of blinded by his beauty, and then he starts pre raphaelite and and then he starts. You know, he knows guitars, and somehow or another, in the first conversation, we get deep into talking about uh, the Rolling Stones' live "Get Your Eyes Out" and uh, the movie uh, "Give Me Shelter." He knew every fucking line. Yeah. Because I used but, to, me, me and Winston Eggleston used to sit in his room and watch Gimme Shelter like high as rats. Just, you all know. right. Steve, Steve's on a mock. Uh, what's the guy's name? Oh, the, the roadie, the, the road manager. Yeah, Jerry. Um, I went Jerry. Uh, fuck. This, we're having a senior moment. <laughs> oh, man. Sam Cutler. Yes, yeah, come on. Steve's going to do a great impersonation of Sam Cutler. Uh, God, you put me on the spot. Render, render. <laughs> You people hanging on the scaffolding, you are rendering that scaffold unsafe. So if you could please, like, use some reason. 
<laughs> and get off the scaffolding. That was bad. That was bad. That was good. And then there's one guy who's like, great. what do you mean tough shit? The guy's really freaking out. <laughs> I don't mean tough shit, but if you lay a successive numbers of bummers on this crowd, they're going to be in a real state, man. <laughs> so it was an instant bomb. And... Uh, well, by then, things had kept escalating, so I went into the shop full-time. I lived downtown. I lived in the Shrine Building, so and, and I had a lot of free time because I got out of school like at like one, 11 o'clock at my senior year. I had a work-study program. Yeah, right. I gamed the system. <laughs> um, and so I'd just be just kicking around downtown. I was like, there's a vintage guitar store like oh my god in my neighborhood and i walked in and see rod back then like you know he had tattoos and this is before the tattoo revolution oh, happened yeah. so you know and he had this beard and he was tall and he looked like a biker he had earrings i'm like who is this fucking cracker ass meth head fucking <laughs> this guy's got to be the worst and well it, he ain't got shit fuck him or whatever but then like we got to talk and i was like this guy's like the nicest dude ever I didn't just say that. You did. Um, <laughs> on, on the air, yeah. too, by the way. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, we, it was just like we immediately, we started a conversation that has continued to this day. That, yes. So it was, uh, and when it just grew. So and, yeah, so I'm downtown and he's like, do you want a job? So I, uh, and that started because this really cool guy named Skip Henderson from Jersey who used to sell, uh, and Steve and Jay, he's one of the coolest guys ever lived. Uh, Oh, he was at the shop, and uh, he wanted me to go to lunch. And I said, man, I can't. I got to keep the shop open. And he said, man, get you a fucking zombie. <laughs> and uh, I said, what are you talking about? He said, some fucking kids is just going to play guitar all day and sit here, and then you can go out and eat. So Steve came in maybe an hour later. I said, you want a job? <laughs> yeah. So he was my zombie. He was my first zombie. It was so great. I was just like, wait, sure, we get to talk about this stuff, and I'm going to get paid? It was real loose, and I mean things were and things were happening. We were packing guitars all the time. I mean, we were selling. I was going to guitar shows as well, but we were probably selling thirty guitars a month out of there. Yeah. Then it got to be we were almost all the Japanese. Then it got to I got a partner, an ex gluing guy, and we moved to the the bigger part. Yeah. So we had, I mean, we were selling these shit. We were right across the street from the Peabody, too. Oh, wow. So, like, on 2nd Street. So, like, and whenever somebody said the Peabody, they would come to the shop. Oh, I mean, we met everybody, yeah. man. I had right. no idea that was going to happen. Tell them the Clapton story. So, I'm <laughs> this is in 95. Clapton's in town for the from the Cradle Tour. So, this is for all you Clapton haters out there. Trigger warning. Trigger warning. <laughs> um, I'm packing a box. Like, they're... they're, they're there's this big plate glass window um, looking over Second Street. So I'm sitting there packing a box, and I'm like, God damn, that dude looks just like Eric. That, that is Eric Clapton is walking across. He's, he's walking towards me. He's, he said that to me. <laughs> I'm Eric like, Clapton's yeah. coming here. He's, like, he's walking in the store. He's, he's approaching me. His hand is out. <laughs> and like, so I was packing a box with newspaper. Yeah. So my hands were like covered in, in newspaper ink. Yeah. And I was like, I'm, man, my hands are disgusting. You don't want to shake my hand. He he just he grabbed my hand and then shook it. Did you say nonsense? Yeah, yeah, nonsense. Yeah, and <laughs> he's hanging out. He's playing guitar. He's singing songs for people. Oh god! He was really into like cheap like Stellas and like you know acoustics and stuff. Those uh, 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 recording king, the Gibson yeah, made yeah, art. Yeah, the recording king. Yeah, like like little L double O rebranded as a recording king. 
and uh, this dude's like, my, my guitar's in the car. I'm going to run, go get it. So he's hanging out, and his handler's like, okay, Eric, we got to go. And he's like, no, 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 no. That, that guy went to go get his guitar. I want, I want to be here when he comes back. So oh, he wanted me man. to sign it. Get his tickets to the show. Um, and oh, then shitload of stuff. Yeah, he bought a ton of stuff. Um, we go to the show. Great seats. Great show. Comes back the next day. It was like, were your, were your seats good? Um, like, yeah, they're great. Did, did, did you enjoy the show? I was like, yeah, we loved it. It's like, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you had a good time. Like, he was the uh, coolest dude, man. He really, and my partner, who I said previously had people skills, he was really good at one thing. He did not give a fuck about a person's celebrity oh, whatsoever. No. <laughs> but he loved money. And if he, so he was so cool with Eric because it was obvious. I mean, he was really nice to him, yeah. but he was not a bit intimidated by. Him. I mean, I I was rendered mute. Yeah. You know, I just like, oh my god, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But Hank's just doing his thing, and it was really cool. And wow. uh, he was a gentleman and just one of the nicest guys that I. And there was some guy. It was a dentist from Hot Springs, and he had just bought a real nice classical guitar, and he asked Eric to sign it. And he said, oh, I'll ruin that. That's, the guitar's lovely. I'll ruin that. Oh. And he, he said, I'll sign the back of the headstock. He <laughs> oh, just was sweet. Gosh. Home. Wow. They're yeah. talking about Don Fielder. We got we to <laughs> fuck with well, somebody. I, I know. I'll, I'll, go, I'll go with Stephen Stills. So <laughs> oh, yeah. this is Hank. This is how Hank could, like, it's kind of a blessing, really. Like, yeah, it's, well, it's a talent. Like, like, he could be, he could not be swayed by celebrities sometimes. Right. So Stephen Stills walk in. And so, like, bristling with anger. Yeah, I mean, he's just like, you know, like, he, he, he walks in immediately with, like, I want you to know who I am. Oh. You know, and our policy was like, we had a conscious thing. It was just like, somebody famous walks in, it's like, hey, how you doing? Good to see you. Let me know if you need any help with anything. That's like, so, so I said that to Jimmy Page, yeah, you know, right. and then just you go about your business. Um, so Stephen Stills walks in and he's pissed because he wanted he wanted the store to erupt and oh my god it's Stephen mm. Stills <laughs> mm. you know we weren't like we did we we're just like hey how you doing Come, you know let me know if you need help so we had a Les Paul special three quarter right yeah uh, double cut three quarter uh, scale Les Paul special Stephen Stills picks it up well he's too stupid to know it was three quarter right one, he and thought it was a real special <laughs> at this point he looks like Harry and the Hendersons but um, <laughs> uh. No, I'm body shaming. I'm sorry. I shouldn't do that. Um, but he starts playing the intro to Woodstock, right? Yeah, yeah, like whatever that intro. It's just you know, so we really know it was Stephen Stills, oh, yeah, you know. Okay. And like about 90 seconds into it, Hank just barks, "Oh, sir, that guitar is sold. Please don't uh, play that." <laughs> and he just. To, to quote Rod, he sagged like an animal taking a bullet. He, did. <laughs> he, he completely he deflated. <laughs> and uh, and then just like put the guitar down and walked out. Oh, oh, um, that's, that's great. Uh, Hank would, he did not care. Once he, uh, if someone came in and they were going to spend money, he thought they'd spend money. He was nice to yeah. him. But once it computed in, he, in his head that this guy's not going to spend any money, it was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I mean, it was really useful at times because I, I was a pushover. I didn't like to be mean to people. It, on occasion, it had to be. He couldn't be mean to anybody. So the both of us, we were both pushovers. I mean, I, looked, I was 
he was I was 18 passive. going on 12. He was he was <laughs> passive aggressive. Now he never missed Steve Selvich I'm talking about. <laughs> never missed an opportunity to make some younger person feel ashamed and belittled about how they played guitar. As <laughs> soon <laughs> he would hand them a guitar. They would ask to see a guitar. He would hand them to it. But when he handed it, he Played. I had to make sure it was in tune. Fiestly. He played the shit out of it. And then handed it to this poor 15-year-old kid who was intimidated and scared. And he might play some fucked up song or a song that he fucked up. And then hand Steve the guitar back, never saying a word. Steve would again play the song the kid had been trying to play perfectly, fucking perfectly. And then hiding the guitar back up. Like, hey, come on back. You know who I did that to? <laughs> Brad. No, uh, Matt. <laughs> Matt. Uh, Matt Damon. I'm not sure if I know him. The actor. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wasn't there. I heard about it. <laughs> Tell him this story. This is good. Matt Damon comes in. <laughs> and he, I mean, and truly, I will say this. Steve knew he was hot shit on guitar. So he... <laughs> I don't give a fuck who. Now he clapped and he wouldn't show off for. But anybody else, he's gonna cut that motherfucker. That was it was truly not my intent. But um, Matt Which is Damon, a Memphis thing too. Sure, yeah. I mean, exactly. Matt Damon comes in with his. I don't know if his girlfriend was a famous actress. I can't she was. I, I forget who it was, but somebody um, cool. No, maybe it was Julia Stiles. Oh wow! Because they were doing the Grisham movie together. Whatever one, the Pelican Brief was he in? Oh okay, yeah. Anyway, he came he came in and, and apparently I did what Roz says that I you do. You did do it. You know you fucking did. <laughs> I I just I I made sure the guitar was in tune and I he handed it to him and, and his girlfriend or the actress was like, He plays a lot better than you do. <laughs> yeah. And you know That's all he needed to hear. Steve cut Matt Davis. Yeah, I was cut <laughs> him to the I was his Jimmy Kimmel that day. Um, <laughs> you had a Don Felder story, is that what I heard? Oh, he's got a great one. Oh, we both did. All right, you'll you'll remember. Don (laughs) Felder came in with uh, Joe Walsh. And Joe Walsh had been there lots of times before. Uh, And he was kind of fun when he was drunk, but he had sobered up for this Eagles tour. They came in, they were a little stuffy. We had just, the Japanese, we had sent out 40 guitars the day before. So we had, we were doing inventory. We didn't, the store was about half full. And Don Felder was outraged. He said, like, where's all your stuff, man? And I'm, I said, well, you know, we just had a huge sale yesterday. Uh, look around, I'll give you a deal. And, and most of the stuff left was kind of drag. It wasn't all that great. And he was just, he kept going on and on. And then he noticed that I had full sleeves. And apparently, this ignorant motherfucker had never seen anybody with tattoos. He's just, you know, he's just freak. Florida man. You know, <laughs> he's he just freaking out. And he starts whispering to Joe Walsh. And, uh, you know, finally they asked a couple more questions, and I, I, was, I wouldn't really answer them. I just kind of mumbled, and they turned around and walked away. <laughs> and I, my only regret is that Steve didn't pick up and tear the shit out of the Eagles Hotel California. So, you know what I wish he had done? If if we could go back, I wish you would have played it backwards for him. Right. <laughs> that would have been so good. But he was like the only really outright dick that, that I remember. Coming. No, um, and I not to speak ill of the dead, but um, when Tom Petty came through on the Wildflowers tour, oh, yeah. Tom was good. Tom was great. Yeah. Mike Campbell was great. Howie Epstein and Howie Epstein. Look, was he was dick. going through some shit. You know, I mean, he was had <laughs> right. a bad heroin problem, but he came in with this giant dog. 
uh, who didn't was, ask, didn't ask, didn't say anything, and the, I mean the dog was not exactly docile. Oh gosh! And we had and his wife, Carlene Carter. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Jesus, they're like Scott and Zelda. Um, <laughs> so we're just like, hey man, like you're, this is dog's about to knock over some stuff. Can you like maybe have him walk outside? And he was incredulous, like how dare you? Oh. Like you know, don't you know who I am and all this stuff? And I was just like. He went, he went Ron Burgundy on you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but Tom, Tom bought a, a Super Reverb, a Dan Electro Bass, a couple other things, gave us tickets, and that was a fucking Wildflowers tour yeah. at the Orpheum, man. He was cool. Oh, my God. But I'll tell you what, I'll tell you, it, not, it just ties into Hank. So Hank's doing the deal with him. That's and right. And uh, uh, so Tom says, he tries to come up a little, like a Wheeler dealer. He said, uh, so... You gonna make me like a deal on this stuff, and then Hank, but he had these intense eyes. <laughs> he fixed him in this stare and said, "What would you like to pay?" <laughs> Tom freaked the <laughs> fuck out. Man, I, I, and I, I rescued him. I said, "Hey, man, how about two grand tax and everything?" That's good. That's fine. <laughs> Anything to get away from Hank's place. He looked at Gazer. He looked at I think me. Tom, with, Tom might have seen his dad. Yes, he looked at me with such gratitude, like, "Thank you, You're one of my people." Yeah, yeah. And he was he was real cool. Most everybody was cool, you know. But that was just a perk of the job that we had no idea yeah. would. Uh, but like you gotta understand too, like they would go to. Sometimes I would go to the guitar shows to help, but a lot of times it would just made more sense for me to stay at the store right. and man the store. So they go to the guitar shows and then they come back. And you, as a guitar player or a lover of musical instruments, there's you've never experienced unbridled joy and bliss of somebody showing up and loading in. 50 guitar cases and you don't know what's in them oh wow you know and his job is to take every guitar out of the case uh make sure it works yeah clean it up string it up you know so he's intimately involved with uh it's like fucking christmas like <laughs> all the time it's you know that uh i always wanted this like you, you know the um fleetwood mac tune um what was it hold me yeah you know, uh, where they're in the desert or whatever, yeah, yeah. and and uh, Mick Fleetwood falls into a sand pit filled with guitars, yeah, and he's just surrounded by guitars. Yeah. That, that was like, I want that. I want to be. I've, I've I've basically created that in my life now. I just want to be surrounded by guitars. Guitar orgy, but to just <laughs> you, like to like, it's surprise after surprise. Like, what is it? Oh my God! It's a '62 SG Les Paul. Like it's it was amazing. Wow. It was a fucking magic. And time. I will say this: Steve never got paid because he always bought guitar. Yeah. So he was <laughs> oh constantly in hawk. I had he a was dick. <laughs> well, the, here's the thing, man. Like, <laughs> I may or may not have taken my time moving out of the house. I mean, I was on tour a lot, so I wasn't really living at home. But you know, I wasn't really paying for my own place. So you had. Uh, uh, Income to disposable. Income. Well, so so like I was making whatever I was making at the store, you know, a, a paltry, no, a, a, a paupers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was more of indentured servitude, but um, <laughs> but so then big ass trucks started to do pretty well, mm -hmm. but we were we weren't touring, so like all of our money wasn't going into the band apparatus. It was just we were just splitting it up at the yeah. end of the gig. So yeah. I was making decent money from, and you know, and I didn't have big expenses, so like I would just take like. Say I made like three hundred and twenty-three dollars. I would keep the twenty-three for spending money and put the three hundred 
towards whatever guitar I was buying. Yeah. And so, and it's pretty much every show. Something yeah. Yeah. And, and Rob was cool about it. He'd let me just like take the guitar and just pay it off. Now, Hank, on the other hand, was <laughs> a little bit, uh, we, we, we came to a head one. He was mad at me about something. And, um, I had this 73 telly, which is a whole nother story. Um, that I was falling in love with, and I was gonna. It, I had an eight hundred dollar cap. Like yeah. I would buy anything for eight hundred bucks, like seventy two Les Paul custom, great shit. Oh, you got good shit. Man. And uh, so Hank was like, he was mad at me and wanted to. And so punitively, he was like, um, Steve, we're gonna have to. Uh, you can't. Uh, you can't pay that telly off. You either need to, you know, buy it or. Uh. But see, I was in college and I had just gotten a credit card, like one of those. You know, because how, how they rope you into debt, right, yeah, right. you know. And I had a credit card. I slapped that motherfucker down. I was like, <laughs> run it, goddamn it! I'm buying this. <laughs> And, yeah. <laughs> oh god! But yeah, but once once Big Ass Truck started touring and I moved out on my own, all those guitars went away. Um, I had a brief flirtation with the Paul Reed Smith. Uh, yep, yeah, it was, good it was an 88, 1988 Super Flaming Paul Reed Smith. Got an Ampeg yeah. clear body. For I, I had a yep. I had a uh, Keith Richards Ampeg clear body. Um, Badass Les Paul. Multiple seventy two Les Paul customs, but all that shit went away. I had to sell all of it once I started touring. You still got the J forty five. I got a fifty nine J forty five. That's the only thing that I've hung on to from those days. That's wow. you know. And I didn't keep anything. I've I've, I've got one guitar to my name. Right. But you know, I don't. For me, it's it's like I, it's a disease in some ways. Uh, I couldn't go back into business because I don't have any money, and I ended up guys getting guys to front me shit and wind up in some big hole. So uh, well, it's, it's a younger it's, man's game. Yeah, it is much younger man's. I just need to stay away from it. Well, what's uh, the one guitar though? Uh, it, it's nothing. It's a uh, well. I mean, it's a decent guitar. It's a, a luthier in Chattanooga made it, kind of like a Les Paul Junior. Oh wow! I mean, it's, it's a, it would cost twenty five hundred dollars to get it built. Uh, if I tried to sell it, I might get a buck seventy five. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's a boutique builder, but he's not known, so it's yeah. not not worth money. But it's it's a great guitar, though. It is fun. You I, plug I, him? Huh? Plugging? I can't remember his name. Uh, Bennett. Bennett. Oh yeah, Bennett. yeah. Um, yeah, it's just a slab of mahogany with a humbucker on it. Right. You know, it's, it's yeah. a killer guitar. Now, there's a, that's kind of interesting. There's a guy named, uh, there was a, a builder. Actually, it's the first guitar repair man, first, uh, first guitar roadie, Ted Newman Jones, uh, worked for Keith Richards. His first guy to go out on the road exclusively mm-hmm. is, all my job is to handle Keith's guitars. Oh, yeah. And Keith was touring with nine guitars, which was insane at the time. Now it's just no big deal. Uh, they tour with 150 guitars. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, Ted Newman also, uh, uh, he built guitars as well. So I found one of his early guitars in Austin and sold it to this guy maybe 15 years ago. And he somehow or another bought the name and has reintroduced them on the market, the Newman guitar. It's a real cool certain shape. If if you look at the going back to uh, videos, the Stevie Nicks Tom Petty "Stop Dragging He's My Heart Around." Yeah, the guitar Tom Petty's playing. That's a Ted Newman Jones. It's a certain single cutaway. Supposedly shape. Keith does the design. Oh wow, it's like an offset single cutaway. Wow. Kind of thing. So this guy had he'd been looking for one his whole life. I found him one, and we we did the deal, and. He got so into it, he contacted. Basically, he bought Ted's name. Now he's building those guitars. Chandler yeah. was building them for a while. Chandler built them for a minute, and those nice. those are great. With lipstick pickup. We had one. We had the Seafoam Green. Oh God, I wish I had that. I gigged with that guitar. It's a great guitar. 
But that was a great thing too. I could just borrow shit from the store. Oh yeah. Like Rob was so cool. Like, like he would just. Yeah. I, I just. Well, I just kind of ran rush out all over him. But um, <laughs> he did. He did. Like I remember uh, big ass truck. I was think part- it was initial. I was so heartstruck when I first saw it. <laughs> <laughs> it just carried on to that. We had. Um, uh, so, so big ass truck was playing this club called Six One Six, and my high watt was on the mend. It was like it blew up or whatever. I didn't have an amp. Like I was like, I need an amp tonight. And we had a consignment. It wasn't even RM, but this dude had consigned. <laughs> it was a 68 drip edge uh, dual showman um, with the 215 JBL cabinet. And I took that motherfucker to the gig. I, like, literally, I had keys to the store. I, we, were, we were closed. It was like 8.30 at night. I went and opened up the store and grabbed that rig. And just. And, and, and then the guy at the consignment comes in the following Monday and says, you sell my my, uh, and we hated this guy. He was he was very he was, he was very arrogant, dude. Very arrogant. Oh, no. So and I've tried to you know I have to lie. I mean, I, which I didn't mind doing him, but I had to to think really fast. Uh, I think we took it in for repair. repair yeah. yeah. Oh, well, anyway. Yeah, we took the head and the cabinet in for repair. <laughs> yeah, so 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 what are your you know we, we talked a little bit about Paul Reed Smith, but what what are some of your Favorite modern builds that, that, that well, the, uh, so I'll tell you the story of the Paul Reed Smith. Um, like I can remember being 15 years old and looking at uh, Guitar World magazine and seeing an ad for Paul Reed Smith and being like, "This is it. This is the guitar. Like, like this is exactly what I want. It's I love the way it looks. It's yeah. everything. I would, you know, and this is like 1988 or whatever. I would, I'd love to have it, you know. And that thought stuck in my head. And then we, this one came in, and I like I put the money down, like I got it. And I hated it. Really? Yeah. It's just it's just like it was the pickups. I mean, the guitar itself was a good guitar. Yeah, good neck. But it's they're trying and trying to be everything. They were nothing. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Like trying Very to generic. like it's, it's you know it's like the best of a Strat and a Les Paul together, and it's just like you kind of got I don't know. I just I never bonded with it. I would wow. like well, look that at was it. vintage guys. Well, almost all vintage guys. That was their response. Yeah, you know, they liked the necks. They, everybody hated that tuning. Uh, what do you put the strings? Oh on. God, yeah. the tuners. Yeah. Or whatever. yeah. yeah. They, they had their own proprietary fine tuner oh, thing, locking so tuner thing. There's everybody such a hated ass. that. And they had that rotary switch. It was hard to figure out. But, I mean, they were so much better than, say, a new Les Paul at that time. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So they were decent guitars. Now, in the last three years, I, I've worked part-time at Martin Music here in town, and I've got to see he has really cool high-end new guitars. Yeah. Anderson. And I have, yeah, Anderson, uh, Sir. So I'm a big fan of a lot of those, stuff, those yeah. things. But nothing... I mean, I would rather have like the most fucked up Les Paul Jr. on the planet than. Uh, yeah, there's there's just a, there's a disconnect. I, 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 neither of us can kind of get with it. I mean, it's totally psychological. Those yeah. are great guitars. Yeah, I mean, right. I, I, but I the mean, head sock looks wrong to me. Yeah, yeah, right. They just. I'm in desperate need of, a, of an acoustic guitar. I really do do need an acoustic guitar. And Steve was telling me, "Why don't you just go to pawn shop and pick up some, uh, you know, talk." Takamini or just some cheap guitar. I said, I will not have it in my house. <laughs> and I couldn't. If someone gave me a wonderful Chinese guitar, I would just have to say, thank you so much. But I have to. I just wouldn't want I couldn't yeah. look at it. It would offend me. It's a terrible way to be, but I loved, I cannot tell you the passion that I had for old guitars. Steve right. shared the same passion. Mm-hmm. George Gruen, the guys that started it. It wasn't about the money, because there wasn't any money in it back in the day. It was the love of of the art. That's yeah. what it really yeah. is, the yeah. art of, of guitar. 
and I'm hooked. It's still, to, yeah. I mean, so he's at Martin, uh, and it's amazing. Like shit's still out there. And it's, Martin gets uh, Eric gets some amazing guitars. If you have there. a store, if you have a brick and mortar place, yeah. shit will find you. It's yeah. crazy. Shows up. Huh? This what fifty three late like December fifty three telly. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's out all kinds of stuff. Blackguard Telecaster came in, and I and, and Rod calls me. He's like, "You have to come see this thing." And I'm like, and I get in the car and go. Like I I held it, and I began to shake. Like, really? I, 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 I swear. I mean, it's it's palpable. It's a real thing. I was just like caressing it and, <laughs> and smelling it and it's just you know i mean I, I, it's, it's like a living i mean it really is they have soul and if you know where how to look like particularly in hotel there's something about them you'll see like this guy devoted his life and playing vfw clubs mm-hmm. he was playing this guitar before rock and roll was invented whoever initially bought it the history in that guitar yeah is amazing. It's alive. I mean, you, it's, you just want to. Yeah. I don't know how to describe it. You just want to. It bond with it. That's why it's just incredible bonding. So Eric will call me, and I'll, I'll do descriptions on these guitars. And every time he gets one, he'll take a picture of me, and I'm just I'm stroking it. <laughs> and I'll call Steve, and we'll both just kind of touch it. It's lovely, it. isn't it? It's just lovely. <laughs> but they're 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 inspiring. Uh, the right guitar will inspire you to be a better musician. Right. And again, if you're if you have a sense of history, that's a really, you know, that's a really important thing about the guitars. You know. The history, imagining uh who well, owned it how originally. It's like the, the cultural tie to it. I mean, like right. the, the start of rock and roll. I mean, god damn it, look at the at the Fender P bass. I mean, I I know there's maybe sort of some sort of antecedent to it, but not Leo, really. There's one weird. I can't remember what it was. But yeah, but like, they didn't hit. They no, didn't. And, and but Leo Fender was like he wasn't encumbered by traditional thinking as a musician, so he just is like, well, why don't we just turn the do this and lengthen the neck? Right. You could argue that had he not done that, you wouldn't have had the low end power to influence R and B. You right. wouldn't have had Motown. You wouldn't have had Marvin had Gaye the, making protest right. records. Yeah, right. Like you wouldn't have the sound of the changing of a generation. Like in a real sense, had the P bass not been invented, there might I mean like it might like civil rights might not look the way it does. And wow. that's so heavy. That it is, is heavy. heavy. You know? I mean, it's true, though. I mean, Leo Fender was a visionary, an amazing visionary, and was so practical. Thinking, man, these guys, he'd go to these bars, Western Swing bars, and see the doghouse bass, the upright yeah. bass. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, you play bass. You're, yeah. You know. And he's thinking, like, man, there's got to be something better than that. They got to put it on the top of the car, you know. I mean, it was, it was, it freed all these people. You know, but a lot of people didn't accept it. I'll never forget this. It's like 67 or so. There was a guy named, uh, sang along with Mitch, Mitch Henderson. He was huge, big band leader. Had been really famous in the 40s and so, but he was still had a big career in the 60s. And he chastised Doc Severinsen on the Johnny Carson show for having an electric bass. Oh, wow. I thought it was so cool. Wow. It was like, you got and then there was, they called him the Fender bass. Yeah, sure. Because that's how it was. Generic term, Fender was, bass. Yeah, yeah. Well, I love revolutionized like the, everything. The early adopters too, like Monk Montgomery. Yeah, you know, it's like they they were going out on a limb. Like they were they were that, that was like some real new technology. Oh, it was heavy as hell. You know, man. and, and the, whole, the whole thing about Fender too, like this is like the cultural aspect of of vintage guitars. Like there is nothing more mid century modern American. Than a Fender guitar, especially a Stratocaster. Right. The color, the lines. I mean, like that. 
And the fact that it is exists now is such a cultural icon. When people think electric guitar, they see the shape of that guitar. But like that's more as mid-century American as a '57 Chevy or, yeah, or whatever. You know, it's like right. it's such the the custom colors. It's such. From well, an anthropological refl- standpoint, it's such a, a moment in time. It reflects this great time in, in American yeah. history when manufacturing's purring along, people post war boom, and there's optimism. You've got a bright red yeah. Stratocaster. You know, that's yeah. heavy stuff, man. Auto Gibson paint. got on the van, you know, and Gibson went too far with it. Around '58, they said, "Fuck it, we're gonna, we're gonna build a, <laughs> a we're gonna build something that really doctor make it look like an arrow." So they built a flying V and Explorer, and nobody knew what the fuck those things were. They, they they didn't sell. They said that some stores would use them as like the flying Vs as like an arrow to point. Yeah. You know, like, Gibson sold here, right? Or or exit, and they had yeah. the flying V point. Oh, so uh, you know, the, with all the companies, they they were challenged. They challenged each other. The solid body electric guitar, which had been people had monkeyed with for years. Uh, but you know, Fender's the one that got it right. Yeah, and then Gibson built the Les Paul uh, and got Les Paul to sign on. But he had Les Paul really had nothing to do with the actual design of the guitar. Mm-hmm. The only thing Les Paul had to do with the trapeze tailpiece, which, which, was, which was the worst part of the yeah. <laughs> but he had a, a reputation as an innovator. Yeah. So if you had, I don't know who it'd be like Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, he was literally the Eddie Van Halen of his time. He was the high yeah, guitar player yeah. plus an innovator. I mean, he he helped invent multi-track. I mean, you got to give it yeah, up. Yeah, the multi-track. Um, but Fender just, yeah, they got it right, and they were laughed at. You know, I mean, this is stories like they go to the trade show and like the telecast. They called it a boat paddle. You well, know? can you imagine yeah. a guy that's been playing? Uh, let's say he's playing Count Basie or whatever. He's a serious guitar player. Yeah. He's playing an eighteen and a half inch guitar that he is beating the shit out of to be heard over over all the horns and everything. And then they're going to say, oh, oh, man, play this Fender Telecaster. How bizarre that guitar must have right. seemed to him. And then, but it called on. It's like, well, yeah, we can be a little bit late. The blues guys immediately picked up on it. Yeah. 52, man, Muddy, Muddy Waters had one of the first Telecaster, first Les Pauls. BB uh, grabbing Esquire. Yep. I mean, those guys immediately, the technology with, to them was a godsend. Yeah. We can be heard. Yeah. You know? And that ties into the whole, like, Technology influencing culture, influencing, you know. Bouncing back and forth. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, the fact that the Telecaster started out being tested on kind of country people, you know, and same, and then th- their input led to the Stratocaster. Like, well, this is kind of uncomfortable. It's a square body, you know, maybe contour it. And then that led to the Stratocaster. And then, like, the, the fact that. That Monk Montgomery did pick up the Fender P bass and was was featured in an ad. Yeah, that, that was heavy thing. because like that was the first time like Fender was you know featured an African American person in their right. advertising. Yeah. You know that wasn't like you know geared towards like Jet magazine or something. Yeah, right. You know, I mean that was heavy. No, it's like this is a serious musician play that is switched over to to the modern bass. It, yeah. it wasn't uh, a racial thing. Or not. It was really brave of them, I think. The the entire. That period was just so much creativity going on. Yeah, you know, it's so, amazing time in America. So, do you guys? How do you guys feel about G and L? Good stuff. I understand you that know. they're good guitars. Um, but how I, about the early stuff when Leo was? Oh yeah, that was super cool. Yeah. Well, right. uh, I forced Steve had an unfortunate incident. <sighs> with going G&L. back to the '73 tally. <laughs> he had an unfortunate. <laughs> I I got a some kind of G and L in, and. Uh, 
Some days you pick up a guitar, any guitar, and it just speaks to you. Yeah, and like you have a moment with it. This particular guitar spoke. It was a G and L. And he sat. Yeah. He, he, I had sold him a 73 Tele that I had personally owned for a minute. It's a great and, guitar. Great guitar. It, it belonged to a musician in town named R.T. Scott. So it, it was a. It was a beer joint telecaster. It was really good. Really, actually, and I, my friend Mike, Mike Forrest, Forrest it, yeah. bought it. Yeah, and so I, I he bought, put the black pit guard on it. I uh, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, Steve is smitten by the GNL and says, "I didn't ask for it." He said to me, "I'll trade you my telly for this." Now wait, hang on. A minute. Then you did you not make the offer? You offered. I wanted the guitar. <laughs> I didn't have the money to pay for it, so I offered. I got. I traded my telly. You got fucked. They admit that oh, you got fucked. No, 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 no. I got he my telly. Himself. I got a sure Unidyne fifty-seven, like an old fifty-seven. Oh yeah. I got a Roland Space Echo. I got a DBX compressor. Yeah. You know all the stuff that I use. So I got. I got. There was a lot of stuff that I got. I mean, Drink. monetarily, it was worth it. I mean, a Space Echo was a big deal back then. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. You didn't have any kind of Strymon or anything. So. But then about after a week, I was like, I hate this guitar. Oh, no. What, like, and, and like, why did I get rid of that telly? Oh, no. It was so cool. It was like, it was like. Man, I'd have traded it back, but I think we sold the telly. It was gone. Yeah. It, yeah. Oh. I think it like, it, and it was still there, but then like the deal was going to happen. Right. Not going to happen. I almost got it back, and then the deal happened. Um, you fucked up. <laughs> I fucked up. That was a bad decision. It was a bad decision. But we all do that. I mean, that's, again, that's part of the thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, I would get tremendously excited about guitars and and being a guitar obsessed with guitars and being a dealer sometimes would get in the way of each other because yeah. I just bought shit because I gotta have it and uh, you know then buy a guitar for twenty five hundred dollars then a week later sell it for twenty six so probably wasn't great business but I just I was like man we have to have this in the shop well and it's so, it's so bipolar and mania like you just you know you get the high of getting something you're just like you know yeah. it's very addictive I've got it and then like the high wears off and you're just like you're down you're just you know you're just like <laughs> oh, oh I gotta God. tell you a great trade story I uh, this is I was getting just about to go into business for myself but I was still doing a lot of business with Gruen and I went up there one day and um, I had a bunch of stuff it was all like stuff I bought around town. Nothing great, but tons of stuff. Yeah, you know? and I I was going to trade for uh, I think they had a fifty one telly or something. Uh, well, the guys that had worked for him at the time he had really pissed him off that day. He was really mad at him, and he had uh, I don't know what he had done, but they were mad. He had left. So we're doing this trade, and they said, well, why don't you get this guitar to, to go along with it? And they bring out a 55 Gold Top. That was the nicest one I'd ever seen in my life. Bottom line is, I walked out with both those guitars. I remember standing out on Broadway just like, this cannot be happening. I've got a 50s Tele and a 50s Gold Top, and I just traded a load of shit that I could Care about. I didn't care about it at wow. all. It was one of the most amazing feelings in the world. <laughs> Jesus. But Raiders things, of the Lost Ark. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there was stuff like that happened. I'm sure it still happens in, in, the, in the vintage guitar business. But in the early days, we weren't talking about three and four hundred thousand dollar guitars. We're talking about guitars that were maybe five. I mean, they were money. There was yeah. maybe 5000 bucks or whatever. But uh, yeah. but you could also get in, like, you could appreciate and experience 
the craftsmanship of 50s Kalamazoo, Michigan built Gibson guitar, but with a Les Paul Jr. that you could get for 500 bucks. Yeah, or right. Or 800 or 1,000 or whatever, Gosh. you know. And it's like you got, I mean, that's, you know, if you've ever been around a 56 Jr., you know what the, how mad. But they were, this be. shows you how, how. <clears throat> Crazy the whole thing. Those are really coveted guitars, Les Paul Juniors. Um, great rock and roll guitars. Kind of a of, of a one trick pony, but the best trick in the world. Yeah. Uh, they were built as student guitars. Right. Solid piece yeah. of mahogany, Brazilian rosewood fingerboard. Uh, one of the Hot best sounding pickups. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, yeah, you're you're basically your Chinese squire rig like a, you know the shitty squire you always see in a pawn shop and like whatever or like, that they would sell at Kmart or yeah, whatever yeah. And, and whatever solid state fucking you know bullshit amp the version of that back then was a Tweed Champ and a fucking Les Paul Jr. like you can make an entire <laughs> record with that right? you know and like I mean that's you know no joke fucking tone you know serious stuff I had a, recently. I had a Les Paul Junior. It's in Steve's possession now, but yeah, uh, well, I, it, it was mine. Well, I miss it. It's, the motherfucker's mine now. <laughs> <laughs> Rod went through some hardships, and he bailed me out. I, I, had, I had a giant plumbing bill, and so I just sell oh, my Junior. I was uh, going to put it up on Reverb for him um, because he doesn't have a bank account. <laughs> God fucking begging. There's <laughs> oh. not much in it. And uh you know, and 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 I just kinda was like, you know, by the time Reverb takes their cut and I have to pay all these fees, oh, yeah. I could just buy it from you for this much and, and you have the money right now. Right. Rather than waiting for the approval and period. As he told me two hundred dollars was a fee. <laughs> well, since he's out of the business, yeah. Oh gosh! So he he doesn't know. No, it's great. Just in the family. Yeah, so, that's that, that thing. It's just it just it's just right down the street, and I, I I'll send him pictures of it every now and again. <laughs> yeah. Um. So like I mean maybe this is off where we've just been uh, discussing, but like I mean, but builders have been around for like Alembic, you know, any of those esoteric like Grateful oh, Dead. Oh, I loved all kind of, that you stuff. Know, yeah. I was a huge like, fan of that. Uh, what I really liked was uh, in San Francisco, guild guitars were uh, the basses, especially, yeah. were really popular. And Olympic would fuck them up, and they'd put uh, alder pickups and knobs. Jack Cassidy had one. Jack yeah. Cassidy, yeah. I they, love that they shit. They love some janky ass wiring and like tweeters and weird shit. I and- love those Olympic modified basses, though. I mean, I, I, anything Olympic, I've got a little bit. I've had, I've owned the, a lot of the basses and some guitars, but the the most the coolest one is an Olympic modified Guild Starfire huh, bass. Interesting. That is the shit. Wow. I mean, like as a bass player, like the only guy that I aspire to as a player that ever did anything with an Olympic is Jimmy Johnson with James right. Taylor. Yeah. And, and he was a and before he got that gig, he was a session ace in L.A. for years. Well, Stanley Clark was early. Okay. Well, yeah, but but Stanley was like. And John Entwistle. Yeah, yep. but still, but like as far as someone like a studio guy, like that yeah. was like. You know, when I was really getting hard into liner notes and seeing who sure. played on what, like back Jimmy when there Johnson. used to be liner notes, right? And Jimmy John, he's the only guy, and somehow producers embraced him. Like he didn't have, he's not showing up with a P bass or a, like he's right. got this five string Olympic that comes with his own preamp. Yeah, and, and, and he would play it and get this great sound. It, it wasn't real thin and banky, you know? What right, I mean? like, right. Like he. So he's he's an enigma, and the only other guys I know that buy Olympics are like doctors and dentists. There's a lot of those. Yeah, but, but they were used. Dave by- Smith has one. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, he, he'll break it out. I think he has like the the, the little. 
Piccolo or he's got whatever. A Ken Smith, too. like he's got some stuff that he doesn't. He's break got out great all the time. stuff. He yeah. got all kinds of shit. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's yeah he's he's. Let's a talk about all the stuff. And he lives at uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> his address. He's usually gone from. Oh, but God. I got into that stuff. I got into like, uh, I mean, I didn't see it in the same way I saw vintage stuff. But it was they were really well made and cool. Yeah, and, and I like that stuff. I'd yeah. buy. When, I mean, we like when the whole bizarre guitar things happened. Like we got really into the quirkiness of it and figuring out like you know what began. Some of them were great. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've still got a Tysco. I got it from you. Do you really? Uh huh. Um, but I mean, I, lately I've been on a nostalgia kick. I've been on a big Hondo. I've been. Is that right? Yeah. Hmm. Um, I mean, I posted about it on social media, but like years ago when I was a kid, my buddy Jerry Baker, like he was like looking around at his mom's house for Christmas presents. He was that kind of kid that was going to do what he wasn't supposed to do and find his Christmas presents. Oh, so we found his big Christmas present, which was a Hondo Randy Rhodes flying V, like a, a copy of a Jackson flying V, like candy apple red with racing stripes. And I, was, I thought it was so cool, and it always stuck in my head. And there was just one on Reverb from Chicago Music Exchange, and it just was kept being up there, and I kept looking at it. And then they had a sale, and I was like, fuck it, I'm sick of thinking about it, I'm going to buy it. And and that got me onto this whole Hondo thing, and I started buying up wow. more of them. They're really cool guitars. You know, as a bass player, like they were one of the first ones to really jump on the whole Steinberger headlist. Yeah, they did that. Yep. They did like, the they were, Steinberger they did. Like, they jumped on that to break it down for guys that couldn't drop even they, back two They grand, made BC right? Rich copies. That's another whole thing. Like the, I, mean, I used to, when I was a kid watching MTV, I remember the first time I saw a BC Rich bitch. Wow, I, yeah. Or, or, or the, the um, what was it? What's the other one? That Paul Stanley had the leopard print one. What's the name of the model? I can't remember. Mockingbird. Mockingbird. Thank you. Um, like I got way into those for a while. Wow. You know, because they're like ten strings. That the bitch yeah. was. You know, but they're relative. And those aren't. They're not affordable. But the Hondo stuff's yeah. pretty yeah. affordable. And they're they're really neat. And now that kind of stuff is. You know, it's all right. You could go to guitar shows yeah. and find it all day long. Did you guys ever deal with Ed Roman out in Vegas? I know I who you're have talking no about. Him. I, 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 <laughs> yeah. Notorious. Yeah, he he was an idiot because he's, <laughs> he's in the whole Van Halen, Charvel, San Dimas yeah, thing. You know, yeah, right? But he, he, that's he, crazy too. Like we, used to, you know, in the early '90s, like we still had the the smell of the '80s still in our nostrils, still just like <laughs> oh, so like pointy Charvel kind of stuff. Uh huh. Was like this is like no good, but like you know, but we had like you know Kramer like uh, Voyagers and like shit built in the early eighties, like early Sandino oh, yeah. Charvels. Wow, that that shit's worth huge money now, right? You know, because there's a whole core. I mean, people, kids from the eighties got older and got jobby I mean, jobs. That's a real market, yeah. yeah. And I I appreciated those guitars for what they were. They were well made and they they did the job. They right. you could wang them yeah. and not not go out of tune, but. And they, again, they were made in a small shop, so they were kind of made yeah. with care, you know. Yeah. Um, but the thing, uh, like, what he, what Rob was trying to say earlier. <laughs> <laughs> Stop. Don't touch me. Smack him with the dread. Um, there is also, before the money got stupid, there was a fun in vintage guitars because you could build these collections of oddball shit like TV Juniors or, yeah. you know, that didn't, like, cost fucking five figures or whatever. So, like... My thing with Hondos now is is like it, it, it's it's that same sort of aesthetic of just like you could build a quirky little connect collection of stuff and not just be spending just crazy money on it. But and they're interesting guitars yeah. and and, right. and fun. You know, it's hard now to to think about uh, 
like only I've sent Steve uh, or he owns I gave it to him is a postcard from a friend of mine with these Karina guitars he owned in I think it was 82 yeah, yeah. and six or seven flying V's and explorers and this is all in one guy's possession he was he was not a rich man he was paying like three grand each I mean he, he had money yeah but that would be millions of dollars yeah now. is that right oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah. Oh, yeah I mean there's a difference in like you know so that's no fun you know yeah I mean, <laughs> I mean like I'll go big and go like three three grand in like 1984 like you know that's but that's a lot of money but it's still it, it's once it got into five and six figures, yeah, right? it's the fun c- got out of it, you know. I would show up to gigs in the 80s with a, a 52 telly, a 55 uh, Strat that might be in a tuning, a 55 Go Top, and a couple of, like, national map-shaped guitars. And two Tweed Deluxe. And two <laughs> Tweed Deluxe that I would show to Daily Planet. And I think I was making whatever, probably what musicians yeah. make now, 50 or 100 bucks. Yeah, he, he would, like, roll in, like, a Joe Bonamassa Instagram post. <laughs> I mean, I would <laughs> you know, and- <laughs> But if a guy really wanted to in the, in the 70s and was interested in, like, cool guitars, with a little bit of hustling, you could get, uh, you'd go telly, 50s Telly or 60s Telly, 50s or 60s Strat, and 50s Les Paul, and have maybe four, four thousand bucks tied up in it. Gosh. Yeah. yeah. Right, but you have to also remember what people were making, too. Yeah, yeah right. I'm actually going to switch gears, and uh, <laughs> and we've been going for an hour and a half. I'm oh, geeking yeah. out on gear. <laughs> Boring guitar talk. <laughs> Uh, Rod, you grow up in Memphis? I did grow up in Memphis. I I grew up, uh, we moved here, I think, in 55 uh, on York Avenue, you know where the uh, uh, brewery and the pizza place is? Uh, York and Cooper. Yes. Oh, wow, yeah. It's a really cool street. It was uh, isolated, yeah. And it's just totally, it was all 30s uh, homes, kind of run down. Uh, We lived in like a three-room duplex. There was a beer joint. We moved there. My father had, had uh, retired from the army. There was a liquor store behind us, uh, a beer joint within three beer joints within walking distance, which is why we moved there. Totally the reason we moved there. And uh, but it was it was really interesting growing up. I can remember seeing. I mean, there's still some echoes of 30s and 40s Memphis. I remember seeing a guy with a peg leg, a rag man, pulling a mule that had with a wagon that had tires on. And calling out for rags, you know. oh, so gosh. Cooper Young was a working class neighborhood that was slightly going to, down the tube. wasn't called Cooper Young. Nobody ever thought about that. I used to tell them, I asked my mother, I'd say, Mom, because these kids I knew that went to school, they lived in coup areas, Sherwood Forest. Oh. That was an area, uh, Bethel Grove. I didn't know our, my, our neighborhood didn't have a name, so I say, Mom, where do I tell them? She said. Just tell them you live by the fairgrounds, which we did. Yeah. So for years, that's what I still tell people that, and they don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. But it was just it was a working class neighborhood. Could have went either way, you know. As far as uh, you know, there was a lot of white flight. The whole entire neighborhoods were vanishing as far as being white working class to being black poor neighborhoods. South Memphis. I mean, it was all corporate shit, blockbusting. You yeah. know. Well, shit changed so much when Dr. King was. Then after Dr. King, it was just oh, completely over with. But yeah, I, I've grown up in lifelong Memphis, and Steve as well. Yes, indeed. I you grew. Got, I grew you, up. 
I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, uh, I grew up uh, where the interstate was supposed to go over. And, and it was he, now called the Evergreen Historic he District. He was a but. child of privilege, great wealth. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, Go ahead, um, Yeah, I mean, my parents bought a house because it was cheap because it, it was going to be a shitty neighborhood because the interstate was going to go over. And, and, and they tore, they eminent domained all these neighborhoods. People, like the government was like, here's what your house is worth. Do you have to leave? Gosh. The government it says you have to leave. It took the heart of Midtown out. I mean, and, and it took us, we're recovering but that was a huge, huge Gutted blow. It, huh? So when I grew yeah. up, like there was just like entire blocks that were just vacant, which oh. was, as a kid was fucking awesome. Yeah. It was like there was kudzu everywhere. You could hide magazines. But we both and- grew I mean, I, <laughs> when I grew up, I was, you know, I'm, I'm a couple years younger than Steve, older than Steve, I mean. But it was... It was beginning. The city was beginning to suffer from all the stuff. White flight. Okay, right. boomer. Oh, God, damn! Oh. I recall. Ooh, that hurt. <laughs> that fucking hurt. But it's come back. It's come back around. Yeah. But I, I, who, who knew back then? It, in a lot of hippies in late in the late sixties, early seventies in Memphis, cheap rent, rent a whole house for sixty five bucks. Oh, so you get four or five guys, and you know it's it was it was great. And then I was coming back around and become some somewhat gentrified, but yeah, I'm still glad to see it. You know, so we started the podcast where I quoted your uh, post regarding Memphis. Is is Memphis kind of like the Austin of, of Tennessee? Uh, I hope not. Nah, I don't. Th- Memphis is I mean, so I mean, like the Austin different. now or the Austin then. Well, of, of just being a different animal compared to the rest of the state. Oh, totally, it has totally. nothing to do with Tennessee. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Right. It, Memphis is its own. Yeah. Entity, separate entity. Yeah. I, th- I think it, the, those are difficult comparisons because I think even at its weirdest, Austin was never as rugged or as complicated as okay. Memphis is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, there's just too much The unique thing here. about Memphis and the tragic thing at the same time is the poverty. Everybody was poor. I mean, every, uh, almost everybody I knew, I, I'm, I'll be 69 in a few days, uh, almost everybody I went to school with, their parents were like, after the war, couldn't get work back on the farm, mm-hmm. they all came to the big city. Mm-hmm. And you know the black people did as well. The white people were able to. Uh, my wife's parents, they came in and lived in public housing. Eventually, got a job, bought bought his own house. The white people were able to do what they're supposed to do, upwardly mobile. The blacks were kept down by the system. Institutional racism. Institutional right. racism, right. and so it's so strange town because of that. I mean, the poverty is what's kept Memphis. Um, Stop touching me. I, it's fun. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Memphis was, it still is a great town, but the, it's so poor. Yeah. There's so and much- I think that will always keep it from being Austin, Nashville, or whatever. Yeah. It will not get overly gentrified, I don't think. Huh. One year later, we're going to be like eating our words. <laughs> well, like, we could be like. There's fucking 17 cranes like in the skyline. And- <laughs> well, I mean, there's got, some of the progress is, is good. Yeah, it's not, you know, all, you know. it's not all bad. I mean, Nashville's become so but crazy Nashville's expensive. It's crazy. It's crazy expensive. I don't know how I mean, we're going to see some, some runoff from that. I mean, yeah, or we, we already, already are. Have, we already yeah, are. Right. You know? Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not qualified to speak on it, really. But Yeah, you are. <laughs> um, speak. Shut up. I'll speak. Um, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I mean, just again, Memphis is so many great things about Memphis are because of so many, so much contradiction, 
you know, that things that shouldn't have worked. And, and, and then it's also once you start to try and qualify and quantify it and put, you know, it's like Quicksilver. It just slips out of your hands, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the future holds. Well, you know, I don't think anybody knows. We, we might not be here in a year. Um, it's just trying times, you know. Yeah. I mean, the planet's burning up. We have an insane person as president of the United States. We, you know, these are very scary times. I mean, I've lived through Nixon. I've lived through a lot of Bush. You know, you guys went through that. You know, presidents can do incredibly fucked up things. <laughs> I'm, I, I look at Memphis. Ronald Reagan helped destroy Memphis. Is that right? Oh, Lord, yes. I mean, they sucked all the money out, you know, and that you have neighborhoods in, in South Memphis that, that will never recover. Wow. All the money has went upwards. None yeah. of it went yeah. to the, to the right. people that I mean, need money. When, when, when Reagan flushed the, the mental health system that in the 80s, hard. I mean, like, my, my grandmother was paranoid schizophrenic. Oh. And, like, that's where a bag lady comes from. Like, if my, my dad took care of her and, was, and, and had a conservatorship, and thank God she was med compliant. But if she hadn't had that in place, that's where you get a bag lady, you know, right. in, in a lot of ways, you know. Um, he just Reagan destroyed unions. He he taxed Social Security for the first time. Reagan exploited. He, you know, after um, the, the Republicans got in their, their race baiting uh, after well, Johnson. Yeah, after Johnson, because Johnson knew when he signed the Civil Rights Act, he had lost the Southern vote. And the Republicans have exploited that to this very day. That's still what they're doing. Mm. Poor white people hate poor black people when the real enemy is the rich people that have sucked all the money greed. out of you know. Whatever it looks like, greed greed is bad. Greed is bad. Yeah. And, and Memphis has suffered a lot from poverty. You know? so, so you've also posted, and, and Jonathan loves it when I go here, but like, uh, did, did you grow up like in, in a Southern Baptist Type of uh, I, I know, not I mean, a Memphis, little bit, not too much. Memphis being a, a hub, so to speak. Well, we were we were real different because my dad was had retired out of the army. Yeah, and uh, he had been away from home for twenty five years. Then when he retired, he moved to Mississippi, which was his parents from, and uh, he couldn't find any work, so he came up here. So my dad wasn't a hardcore. I mean, he was a racist, but nowhere near like. In, He's well traveled. He's been all over the world. Mm -hmm. He was absolutely insane. He was an insane alcoholic. So he just wasn't like anybody else's parents. But my mother insisted we try to get a little little religion. Yeah. So I went to a Baptist church for a minute, mm -hmm. and it just scared the fuck out of me. <laughs> it just scared the shit out of me. So right? oh God. So uh dropped out of that and after that it was but we were just we weren't like the neighbors. My father was pretty he would call people churchgoers as an insult. Right. You know? A pejorative term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, church going sons of bitches. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Probably the implied thing is that he thinks that they think that they were better. They're, than that's their the whole sanctimonious. But my yeah. my neighbors, you know, they 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 were like more. We were not a typical family uh -huh. because of my dad's insanity and alcoholism. I mean, just yeah. look at you; you can tell. No, it's true, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much true. But I, I, it was a fun town to grow up in. I mean, I, and I would, you know, people will talk about the good old days, uh, and the great days of the fifties. It was segregated. Yeah. You know, there was, I mean, we grew up, I was the, the last generation to grow up in a little bit of a segregated society. Mm -hmm. And by 
68, all that had started to change. But, you know, it wasn't paradise. It's just you didn't, you didn't see the poverty because it was in another part of town. Right. I mean, we had the uh, there was a little black neighborhood right across Cooper Street, and we had some friends from over there, and we would walk to school together. I, I, I lived at Cooper and Central, near, near Cooper and Central. School was Cooper and Young. So we would walk to school with our friends, Kirby. Peabody, Peabody School. My friends Kirby and uh, I forget the other guy's name. Well, they had another mile and a half to walk to get to their school. Right. Once we got, they had to go all the way down Parkway. Uh, I mean, it was. I remember the. Um, we sat in the back of the buses, by the way. Uh, my brother and I. Any anybody that was a bit of a rebel, and we weren't supposed to. Right. But we did it anyway. Yeah. But the racism hung in the air like shit mist. I swear to God, it was. You would hear this racially charged talk constantly among our my mother out there talking to her friends, and it was just horrible. It was normalized. It was, yeah, it was just, totally just, normalized. Just common. Yeah. Right. And I again, my dad being in the army had had black friends. He wasn't nearly, he wasn't a Klansman or anything. I mean, he was not like that. So we weren't subjected to that. Also, my father hated his father. So I didn't have to deal with about maybe once every three months, it's a, we're going to Mississippi. And we'd get up and drive 60 miles down to Mississippi. And we'd get there and stay for about 30 minutes. He'd say, well, we got to be going and come back. <laughs> that was, so I was, you know, I didn't like spend weeks with my redneck cousins hunting and, and you know, I didn't hang out at all. Right. Uh, I just grew up. Uh, and once I got into music, I couldn't, it, I could not justify the racism because I love black music so much. Yeah. And it was like, what the fuck is going on? So my brother and I were really early in that. Uh, my brother actually walked, uh, marched in with Dr. King, and we had those signs. You were too chicken shit to do it, right? I was too chicken shit. Yeah, I thought <laughs> it was going to be a riot. That's true. I, I was 15 or 16. He was 17 or so. Uh, but he came back with uh, Honor King and Racism and, and I'm a Man sign. Does he still have it? No, no. We, we put him on our fucking front porch. Oh, wow. My, and my mother came out. <laughs> but we were different. You know, we were, uh, we made a real uh, effort to not be racist. Yeah, and that separated me from my. You know, it was a totally different thing. And I mean, you could say the arts informed that. The no, arts totally music. Yeah. You know, yeah, it was right. all of a sudden. Um, you know, the, I'm listening to music, and then the Stones and Beatles came out. I had been listening. I would sneak over and listen to WLOK and WDI, the black stations. So I was somewhat familiar, and I loved it. Yeah. It's like, well, how can we? Well, Stacks was popular music. Yeah, it was Stacks hit, right? hit right. records, you know, yeah. around the country. We would drive by Stacks on a Friday night and just like, I wonder what they're doing in there. Yeah, it's just kind of a place to hang. So I couldn't justify the racism that was all my friends had. But again, it wasn't beat into me like a lot of these guys. My dad, I will give him credit for that. He did. He did not force that shit down our throat. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we were lucky in that. And Steve had, you know, enlightened parents, so he never had to go through that. Academics and whatnot. Wealth, um, great wealth. I did not have great wealth. <laughs> great wealth, great privilege, a life of privilege. I had privilege in that I had a loving family that stayed together. That you know, uh, some of us had loving families. Yeah, yeah. You know, some of us had alcoholic families. Hey man, you know? but never a dull moment though. I mean, come on. That's true. 
But now, we're here to talk about you, man. Uh, well, enough about me. Let's talk about, let's talk about you. <laughs> so, hey, real, so, I mean, you guys still got momentum? How are you feeling? You need to take a break? Oh, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. We could go all literally all day. Well, I, I, I might I, take I, a I, water. Could I you know, get a water? Please, yes. That concludes part one of Rod and Steve. Please advance to part two.